Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell, Elevate, Elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This is your host, Ty, and I'm here with Leah Gervais. Leah, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Ty. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, if you could just introduce yourself. I know you're a coach. You've got a podcast. Um, we've had a really incredible journey, but love to hear it from your own words. Sure. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm Leah, everyone. Nice to meet you all via podcast. I am a mentor for entrepreneurs. My specialty in my mentorship is in marketing, specifically sales, and in mindset. I'm a big fan of using the power between your temples to really get what you want. So that's what I do. Um, I've helped I think we're at 25 now businesses reach their reach the six figure mark and a few more than that hit seven figures. And I have worked for myself for about four years, had my business for about six and I live in New York city with my husband and new baby. I'm a new mom. Oh, congrats. Thank you. I I did not know that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great. It it is. I've got two little boys that are five and seven. Wow. uh, yeah, it is quite the journey. <laughs> so, <laughs> it but, is. Uh, it is. Best things ever happened to me was was having my sons. Oh. Um, well, you know, it's really interesting. So, kind of reading about your background, and you know, I know that you were went to school, took your LSATs, were all pumped and primed to to go to law school, and you decide not to. So, I thought that may be a good place to kind of walk us through a little bit of your journey to get to where you're at today. Now being a successful entrepreneur and now actually mentoring, uh, mentoring other entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. It did, I, this was not the, the vision, I guess in some ways it was, but in, in other ways it wasn't so clear. So I grew up always wanting to move to New York city. That was sort of like my six-year-old ballerina dream that everyone has, but then I like never grew out of it and still haven't really grown out of it, even though I lived here for 11 years but I thought I was going to come to New York to be a lawyer. And I went to NYU and I was under the impression while there that I would go to law school. And then when I graduated, I got a job as a paralegal here in the city and went, felt like I was right on track to do this. And I studied for the LSATs. I took them twice actually. And sure enough, I was accepted into law school, as you said. So it was really, you know, about a two, maybe even more year process between studying for the LSATs, taking them, getting recommendations, applying to these schools, et cetera, and getting my acceptances to, um, to getting to the deadline of when I needed to enroll in, in, in a certain school. At that point, they were sort of saying, okay, we, we need to know whether or not you'll be joining us for the fall semester. And it was feeling hard for me to choose which school I wanted to go to. And I'm a pretty decisive person. So that should have been a red flag for me from the beginning, but this was before I had really done any personal development work yet. Something in me just sort of knew that this wasn't what I was going to do, but I couldn't admit that to myself because I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't know what else I even was interested in or had credentials for. I had been on this path since I was 18. So the day finally came to a head where I had to choose which one I would go to. And I remember waking up on that day and this inner voice telling me, it's not a matter of which one you're going to, it's, you're just, you're just not going to go. And I listened to that and I called these schools and I declined my acceptances and they even offered me to defer for a year so that my spot could be saved. So I didn't have to take the LSAT again. Should I change my mind, et cetera. And even that, I just said, I've got to just cut it off because Mm -hmm. 
I, it's like, it, it's like, I didn't, I, I didn't want to plan B. So anyway, at that point, that's kind of where I decided to start my own business, but it was not, I did not have the vision for it to be what it is now. I was um, really just starting a blog to try to connect with other people in a quarter life crisis, essentially, which is what I was going through people that, you know, I think a lot of millennials were fed the, um, the story that going to graduate school, going to law school, medical school, stuff like that would bring you a lot of financial security, would bring you a lot of um, prestige. And, you know, we're, yeah, right. And here we are, the generation that has an obscene amount of student loan debt, that's really not financial security at all. This pandemic just happened. I mean, we could go on about that, but the point is I wanted to connect with other people that felt like, Hey, this ain't it. You know, I kind of followed the yellow brick road and I'm not happy. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome, even starting that blog, because I felt like I hadn't figured out what to do instead. I hadn't figured out what else I was going to do. Um, but I started it anyway. And that is the beginning of what has now become a seven figure business. I'm just curious, you know, do, um, you, you just said you listened to that inner calling, like something had stirred up and you felt like really obviously compelled to, cause that is a lot of time commitment to be able to, to yeah. study, study for that test. And to just say, you know what, I got to listen to here. You know, what got you to that place? Because a lot of people wouldn't, they would shove that way down. They would have gone to law school. They would have become a lawyer and then they would have practiced and hated themselves. Right. And then like, mm-hmm. and then this, this, cause you see this in society. That's what most people do. They right. never listen to that. What about that? Was that something from childhood or is it just like the, it was just an overwhelming feeling or emotion that made you compelled to just say, no, I can't. Yeah, it's such a great question. And it's something I think about because nowadays having done so much personal development, I'm so intentional with those sorts of decisions. And I think mm-hmm. a lot about how to reframe things in the sense of life is short. What it, What does your higher self want you to do? I didn't have any of those tools back then. And I think what really, what it came down to is probably somewhat of a sense of self-trust that I did develop from my childhood because my dad was an entrepreneur and he believed in, you know, risk-taking. He was a very different entrepreneur than I am because he, he, he was, he built his own accounting firm. So even though he started oh, cool. his own business, it was still very much, there was, you know, a rule book on like how to start an accounting firm. Sure. Nonetheless, he, he, he was um, an entrepreneur and my parents just very much encouraged us to believe, to just have faith. Now you can fill that in with faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in something else. But I do think that that was sort of a core value I've always had is to just have faith that something else could be out there for you. Something better could be out there for you. And I think that that's what gave me the courage to listen to that, that and the reality that, um, I was young and, you know, it, it was like, if I, if I really messed this up, I think I had time to course correct. I don't love admitting that because I don't encourage people to think like that, but I do think that that was part of my thought process. Sure. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of people like to, to your point before they really start to do the work on, you know, uh, personal development. And like you're saying, you know, Hey, it's, it's good sometimes not to have a plan B, but mm-hmm. a lot of us do kind of always want to put that back in there just because that's where we're comfortable uh, what did your parents, what was their reaction when you said, no, nah, I'm going to quit law school? You know, that when was definitely um, part of my consideration. I was very, I was always very close with my parents and I'm the oldest child. So I was kind of paving the path of like what we were going to do with our lives. And my dad actually has since passed away, which was, which is part of my story as well. But um, my, my mom was supportive of me because my mom was nervous about me going into law school debt, which is somewhat ironic. So she, she kind of saw through this lie that like, mm-hmm. I was going to have this really abundant financial future by going into six figures of debt. She was like, nah, I don't know if this is it. So she, 
she was really supportive. And the other thing that I don't give her enough credit for is she asked me that day of, you know, when I was trying to decide and I was on the phone with her talking in circles and she said, and I kept telling her, I'm just scared of going into debt. And I think she saw through my lies. And she said, Mm -hmm. if, if, if debt wasn't an issue, if student loans weren't the issue, how would you feel tomorrow? If you knew you were going to, you know, Vanderbilt or wherever, if you knew you were going to one of these schools. And I just said, I still wouldn't feel excited. And she's like, that's your answer. And she's so right. And so um, she was she was totally supportive. I think she was scared for what I was going to do instead. You know, I think she got more scared when I quit my job. That was probably more feel, fearful for her. Um, and then my dad, I thought he was going to be a little bit disappointed because I do think that he built up some of this like prestige of being an attorney and how, you know, you can really do such influential things with a law degree and, and to see me it have it in my grasp, but then release it. I, I was nervous. He was going to be disappointed, but he wasn't at all. I think he also saw the entrepreneurial spirit and just said, you know, go, go to something. If you believe there's something better, go do it then. <laughs> Good luck, yeah. but go do it. That's a beautiful gift from your parents. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Honestly, beautiful gift. Um, well, talk to us about, so you got the, you got the blog rolling and I know you decided to not to go obviously. So we got that out of the way. And then you went to Cambodia. Went to Cambodia. I went to Cambodia. Truthfully, part of it was because I couldn't afford to live in New York City unemployed. Who can? And <laughs> I knew that <laughs> who can afford to live in New York City employed <laughs> even. But I, um, yeah, I just decided that this was going, I was going to take some time for myself before I decided, before I tried to get another job or figure out what else to do. Being a full-time entrepreneur wasn't even in the realm of possibility for me at that point. I mean, I was excited about my blog, but didn't think I could make a full-time living from it. So I just wanted to sort of go, you know, try this time for myself. And so I went and traveled for several months and I did start to get the idea of maybe I could do something on my own or work for myself, but didn't crack the code on it. And eventually did come back to New York for a job that I, that I got while abroad back in New York. And I was excited about that job. It didn't feel like it was, a I wasn't quitting or giving up, but I, yeah, it took me a while to really make it on my own. Yeah. So you talked about, so you came back and you went to work for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. um, right. And you did that for a while while you were still, you know, doing your, your side hustle. And then I think this is really important to hear because when I, when I read on uh, your site, you know, kind of reading through your bio is that this determination, because when you started working on the side hustle, it was, you were getting up at four probably mm-hmm. and right. And you worked on it. So you said from four 30 to eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. And where did that drive come from though? Cause that, that, that's a key indicator that a lot of people, I feel like they half ask their side hustles where they're yep. still not putting in the time. Right. And I think it's okay if you're still kind of testing the waters, but a lot of people still don't even want to do that work. So what was your mindset behind getting up and doing that work every morning? Um, I lost my dad and it completely shifted my perspective because I was, I was the dabbler that you're referring to. I was Mm -hmm. for, for the first year or so I was, when I was back at working at that nonprofit, having my side hustle, it was, I was a, I'll work when it's convenient. I'll work when I have an idea. I'll work when I feel like it. I'll work if this sounds good kind of person. And I don't think I even had the awareness to acknowledge how half-assed that was, excuse my language. (laughs) And I don't think I really saw how much I was self-sabotaging by not going all in because what happens when, when people get into the cycle that you're referring to, where they, they sometimes work and sometimes don't, or they have, they halfway do it. They end up never doing enough to get big results. And then they get deflated by the fact that they're not seeing results, which brings their motivation even further down, which means they're working less, which means their results are worse. You go in a downward spiral. And I was completely like that because the lack of results got to me. I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't cut out for this. 
all of, all of those stories really started ramping up in my head. And then at one point I just said, enough's enough, excuse me. It was on new year's of 2018. And I said, in a year, I'm going to be able to quit. I don't know if I will. I don't know if I'm going to even like working as much as I'm going to have to do this, but I want to have the opportunity or option because I haven't had the option. And so I just started to really treat it differently at that point, kind of, I mean, I was starting to ramp it up a bit more, but then about two weeks after, or two months after that, I lost my dad. Suddenly I'm, he, I grew up in Colorado. He, he was in Colorado. He died skiing. It was horrific and shocking and definitely the darkest part, part of my life. Still, it still is. And it, that was, you know, years ago. Um, but that completely turned the phrase life is short from a bumper sticker phrase to like, oh my God, I literally could die at any time. And the worst thing in the world just happened to me. And I have to start showing up differently because if, if something were to happen to me at this point, first of all, it was hard to even process that. I wasn't even really that proud. I could cry right now. I've been talking about this, but I wasn't even really that proud of who I was when my dad passed, like that, that was the last version of me that he knew. Cause I knew I had more in me. I knew that I had a fire in me and I knew that I did have a big vision for my life, but I had just been so scared that I wasn't even really giving it my all. And I was taking failures personally. And I was letting myself believe I wasn't good enough. And I hated that that was, you know, the Leah that, that he left. Now, I don't think that those were the redeeming or like the main traits he remembers of me, obviously, but that got to me. And then just realizing how quickly and precious life was, I just, it really shifted my perspective. And, and, and then I did get up at four every morning happily, because I felt grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. And I quit my job six months after that. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear about your father, um, you. but I'm glad that you use that experience to, to become the best version of yourself. And that's a beautiful blessing um, all the way around. So congratulations. A lot of people would spiral and go in a different direction. Yeah. So, you know, now going all in on that, that's, that's wonderful and great, but I want to get your perspective because you said, I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, and, and I'm not 100% sure with what you were blogging about and whatnot, but it seems like the career path was very, um, you know, kind of type A, you know, we go become a lawyer and now you're kind of in marketing, right? So you, that's the other side of our brain. That's why in my version, the creative side. So usually those skill sets, not very many people can have both. I feel like it's usually one or the other. So maybe you're one of those blessed people, but did you have to kind of retrain some of your skill set? And what was that kind of journey like? you know, um, you're building your business, you're working, and then are you also working on yourself and your skills to become that next version of you? Yeah, that's such a great question. I've, I've never had it asked to me that way of like how you kind of switch from your right to your left brain. I think that, um, the way I think about it is that I think my strength is, is big picture thinking and strategy. So for the, that, I think utilizes both parts, give or take a little bit. Like I love thinking of something new to create and having a vision for something out of nowhere, but then actually creating a plan for it. Um, where I struggle and where I probably wouldn't have been a great lawyer is in executing and, and having more of those details kind of fault, you know, be, being more detail oriented and making sure I, I cross all my T's and dot all my I's. But I always do do that because I think to answer your question, parts of this journey have definitely come easier to me than others. It has been easier to do some parts of marketing than others. I don't really think of myself as that creative of a person, but I've been natural. I'm a natural speaker and I like to connect with people. That's something that's kind of been a trait. So, um, 
you know, I think that just pure discipline is underrated these days. And when I look back, some parts were easier than others. Some parts were harder than others, but I had the philosophy and I still do that you need to know every functioning of your business before you outsource it. So before I was going to outsource marketing, I needed to know what marketing I wanted to do. And before I was going to outsource the data that we track, I needed to know what data we were actually doing. And so some parts of that were natural, some parts of it, I sort of had to white knuckle through, but that was always my philosophy. And and I think that that has served me well, because I do feel like I can kind of see the big picture of the business now. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I I think it, it does. And I think that's also a great perspective. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, especially at the foundation of the business, because you know it helps when you're able to sit in a seat and have a different perspective. So then when you do bring people on board, be able to help coach and mentor them, you know, and hopefully they far surpass your skill set, right? Yeah. That's why we, we, we would bring them on anyway. I'm curious, did you have any type of mentors or co- coaches that you started to utilize as you started your journey? Oh my God. So many. And still to this day, it's something that I budget in every single month. I don't think that you can, it's like, why would you rob yourself of someone else teaching you more? So yes, I've had so many, um, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot from David Nagel in my beginning days, who's a, a money mindset mentor. I learned a lot from Emily Williams in my early days. Um, she taught me a lot about just like the basics of business setup. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I learned, I learned a lot from Kara Allwell is her name. She, she's a, a podcaster as well. She's a very popular podcast called Style Your Mind. Um, but yes, I mean, I've, I've seeked mentorship in every type of way that you can think of it from business strategy and, you know, learning Facebook ads, even when I had never done anything like that before in my life, that was very challenging, but I think it's a huge edge I have now because so many entrepreneurs are afraid of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, yeah, now, like now I have a postpartum life coach, you know, something very specific just to support me through the fact that I just had gave birth and <laughs> I'm, an, and a, I'm a new mom. And, and I think that recognizing that no one who's achieved anything great has ever done it alone is very humbling and really helps you take all the pressure off of ourselves, especially women that place it on themselves to feel yeah. like they need to do everything at once. Yeah. I live with an entrepreneur. She's downstairs and, uh, her office, my, my wife owns an interior design firm, you know? And mm. so it's just like, I travel a lot, uh, for business. And, and so it's just like, she's sometimes got a full plate, she, you know, she's up working till 10, 10 30, but it's because that she had to go pick up the kids. Cause I was out of town. And so, you know, kudos to moms out there, uh, especially the entrepreneur moms, cause it is a rough life. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I love watching her hundred percent, you know, yeah. watching, watching her grow her business. The second one she's grown, wow. she's been crushing it. Um, so where, where did you start with your personal development journey? I'm really interested in that because you brought it up a few times. Was it like, did, was that something that a coach brought to you or do you start reading books? You know, what has been most impactful for you along that journey? Coaching and books, I'd say would be the two most supportive things. So what really changed for me is you know, there's a big sort of before versus after of my journey from when my dad passed away. Before that, I was sort of trying to figure this out on my own. That was the biggest trait. I also had a very defeatist mindset about it. I had a big victim mindset when things didn't go wrong, when things didn't go right, or when things went wrong, I was very quick to assign meaning to those failures. This means, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. This means that I'm not good enough. This means I might never quit my job. This means that I um, you know, messed up. And I would take those things very personally. I'm a very sensitive person. I still am to this day. And Mm -hmm. that would sometimes take me out of the game for days, even weeks, you know, before I could like try to do something again. And then when my dad passed and I just had to be honest with myself and recognize that this wasn't working the way I was doing it, I had to 
break the habit of being myself, which is, you know, the title of a personal development book, breaking the habit of being you. And, and that was, that was painful, but it was also very freeing because I feel like that's when I started recognizing how many limits I had artificially placed on my life from my own mind. And I think a a very clear example I have of when I started to do this was, you know, a big story I had running in my head before my dad passed away. And before my business took off was that I didn't have enough money to invest in my business. I I was making like $45,000 a year at a nonprofit. I had student loans. I was living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. I would see these programs, these mentorships, these coaches, these events, all of it. And it looked great, but they were thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. And I had like 50. So I just continued to pass on them and think that I couldn't do it because I didn't have enough money. And when my dad passed away, I had to be very honest with myself that if I wanted things to change, I had to change. And I decided to invest in my business with my credit cards. And that was extremely scary for me. I had never had credit card debt in my life. I was pretty anti-credit card debt. Honestly, my dad was an accountant, as I mentioned, but it was in alignment with this theme of what you're doing isn't working. And you kind of have to start to see yourself differently. And so I started to write a different story. What if this ends up being a good financial decision for myself? What if Mm -hmm. this is part of my journey? Maybe credit card debt isn't great. If you have a nine to five job where you have a fixed income where you don't ever know, or you don't not ever know, but you don't exactly know when your income is going to change to be able to pay it off. But what if this works out different for me? And so that's just one example of how I started to just have to think about things differently. And a lot of personal development books and coaches helped me learn to support those thoughts during that time and learn how powerful just choosing your thoughts can be instead of feeling like you are pre-prescribed these thoughts from childhood or from the way you grew up or from your family or whatever else, you know, the background may be in. And so, um, that's just one example of many things I started doing differently and thinking about differently. And my business really, you know, started taking off from there and now personal development. It's interesting because it's sort of, it's definitely never done. And for me, it feels, I don't know how your experience is with entrepreneurship with it, but I thought it would have been like one progressive linear line up and it is not, it is like (laughs) you do a jump, like a fun quantum leap. And then you're flat for a while. Sometimes you dip back down again, maybe you do another jump somewhere in there. It's just sort of like all over the map, but the, I think the beginning of embracing it is the most powerful because you never again really wonder or question how powerful you are. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but it can allow you to tap into the fact that like you can control a lot more than you probably thought you could. Totally. And I think that you hit, I mean, so many different things because typically when we have the victimhood mindset, right, we're not in power, we're relinquishing power. Right. And, and so if you're constantly relinquishing power, then you feel defeated. And, and it's just this perpetual cycle. And it, it's interesting. I, I try to really break people from thinking about trading, you know, time for money, especially, you know, I think that a salary is like a nice little drug that your employer can give you to keep you fixated and kind of in your square. And, and I've never really experienced that, honestly, because I've been in sales my whole life. So I've always been commission driven. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen friends and they're like, well, you know, like, you're in sales is different. And I'm like, yeah, but I've, I've chosen to do that. I made myself vulnerable with commission. And so, yeah, there are some months I'll get a big score and I make 50 grand a month. So I'm not worried about the credit card debt. Cause I know I can go out and create that where people right. get pigeonholed in there and then they can't pay off their debt. So they're scared to make moves. Right. And so, you know, is there any tools that you help clients with to kind of walk them through that process to start to break and free them from that mindset of like, well, if I do this, it could relate to that versus reframing, like you're talking about going, well, what's the alternative of, you know, like, you know, Jim Rohn says it's all risky, right? 
it's risky right. not to take it. And it's, it's right. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So I think that the um, first step is just awareness, understanding that you can control your thoughts. You can see things differently. You can decide to choose different things. Just like even deciding that and understanding that, that, the, that you're not a victim to your thoughts, I think is, is, is the first step because then you can realize that you can change them even if you don't change them yet. And then the thing I coach my own clients on, especially like with your business, because things, you know, as I told you in the beginning, when I would fail, I would assign all this meaning to my failures. I fail all the time. Now I had my first seven figure year last year. And I've told my clients, like, I've never gotten so many rejections in my life as when I hit that year, you know, and I think it's important to talk about that because it's very easy to look at like that. I achieved this big milestone and to think that that means I have less rejection and I actually get more than I've ever gotten in my life. Because in order to reach that, I have to put myself out there 10 times more than the average person. I have to be willing to put my ego aside. I have to be willing for people to judge me. All these things that really prevent people from making sales all the time, as I'm sure, you know, and the tool is to get aggressive about the domino effect. So if you have it, if someone says no to, let's say you pitch them and they say no, instead of that dominoing into, well, what if my product isn't good enough? Do I need to rewrite it? I don't have time to do that. Do I need to hire more childcare? Where am I going to find money for that? You know, that could be really fast into this like existential thing that could put you down a rabbit hole of work, a ball of stress, none of which is going to help you actually make another sale. Stop the domino. That person said, no, that is it. Don't assign any more meaning to it. And it it, it takes, you know, it's easier said than done. But if you can at least be aware that we all have dominoes go into our mind and the domino, if you let it, will lead you to your most vulnerable points, the things that continue to make you feel nervous, afraid, vulnerable, worried, they will continually pop up in, it's funny how seemingly all these different obstacles in business, this person said, no, um, my client, you know, this contract wasn't written correctly. Uh, someone laughed at me. I got a mean comment, you know, whatever. They all can domino to like the same fear. What if my business is going to fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if people don't like it as much as I thought they did or whatever your kind of core insecurities are. So just recognizing that before it gets to that point, that that's just a circumstance it's neutral and not letting it domino all the way you will move so much faster and you'll also save yourself a lot of heartache i mean everyone has insecurities it doesn't mean that you can't move forward with them totally a uh, beautiful answer um you know one of the things that it kind of you've said it a few times and i jotted down here in my notes so i keep looking down so i don't, I don't lose track um assign meaning to failures or to rewards right and and i think yes. ed millette was the first person i heard kind of like it hit me one day I was, I'm going to forget it. I was out walking the bayou and I was listening to one of his podcasts and he goes, Hey, events happen. You're the one that assigns the meaning and the motion to the event. Like you can choose it to be good. You can choose it to be beautiful, but you are assigning meaning to what is happening in your life. It's just something that happened. Right. Um, and so how do you start to become, you know, what's worked effective for you to become aware of your thoughts to catch yourself in that moment and go, Oh, I hit two dominoes. I need to course correct. You know, mm-hmm. is there any type of practice that you use to become a bit more conscious of your thoughts? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I think that the thing that really moved the needle for me and allowed me to kind of break myself free of this was not that I still don't have these moments, but I know how to handle them more is uh, looking at sort of what that core fear is. And this was mm-hmm. something I did as like about a year after my dad died. And I just recognized that if I could, you know, I, I sort of got excited about the fact that if I could realize like, 
what is the repetitive fear that comes up whenever I let that domino go all the way, then I can start recognizing that all of these meanings I'm assigning whenever they're negative are just disguises of the same fear. And if you're, so for me, that fear, I can be open about it. My fear is the, the repetitive, most deep fear I get is that I'm not worthy of the things that I have. It's interesting because most women I talk to, their core fear is something around, I'm not good enough. And what that manifests in them doing is it per, well, prevents them from doing things. It prevents them from writing a sales email or prevents them from starting a podcast or it prevents them from, you know, starting a website or whatever, because they don't think they're good enough to do it. They don't have enough credentials. What if people laugh at them, et cetera. My fear is almost the opposite. It's like, I'm never worried about not being good enough, but I'll achieve something. And then I'll almost self-sabotage it because I don't know if I actually deserve what I've achieved. Oh. So once I recognized that that is the, that is the main fear. And there's just different disguises of it. Almost like it's showing up in a different costume. Every time something goes wrong, it, it it's sort of like looking in a funhouse mirror and then finally turning around and recognizing that that fear was just very, very small to begin with, even though it looked really gigantic in the meantime. So I think that if you're willing, it's, it's kind of painful work, but if you're willing to just take some time, maybe one evening, just in a journal or, or talking to a partner or someone that you trust or love and talking about what the deep vulnerability is that you have around whatever you're trying to do or sales you're trying to make or business you're trying to build, that can be, it's so much easier for you to believe in the domino effect being a, an inhelpful way of thinking at that point, because you can see it for what it is. Otherwise you might be listening to this podcast and thinking, okay, Leah, that sounds great to not assign meaning, but like, you don't know my situation. There really is meaning. It really is like this. You know, I promise if only you knew, you'd know that like my, I'm really, I really am not good enough or this product really isn't that good. Or this person really doesn't like me, or I really did get a mean comment, you know, and you, you, you sort of are just feeling like you're telling yourself a white lie otherwise. Cause then you're just sort of feeling like, okay, well, she's telling me to not let this domino happen, but like, isn't it responsible to think to this domino or isn't it prudent to like have these things be considered in my, in my realm of, you know, considerations if I'm making a decision. And if, unless you can actually understand why those domino effects are happening, you will believe them. You will think that it's responsible to consider them. And so I think that that's the step is recognizing, seeing it from the inside out and seeing like, why am I really having this thought? And then you don't really feel the need to defend it anymore. Yeah, great answer. Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to pivot a little bit, kind of talking about, just talking a lot about mindset. And I know you have mm -hmm. a tremendous skill set. Anybody who creates a seven-figure business, you got to have a tremendous skill set, which I'm sure has been a gradual progression. But do you think that the, the jumps that you've made in business, has that been attributed to your skill set more or your mindset more? Because I think a lot of people think that, you know, hey, I feel like, you know, there's people that know the mechanics of sales, but they still don't have success. Yep. And for me, I think because it comes down to like right here and how you perceive how you react, you know, versus you can do all the right things and you're still not going to have the same type of success. So maybe kind of walk us through that linear journey you've had from going $45,000 a year to now, you know, three, four years later, having a seven figure year. I mean, that's, that's, that's a quantum leap. Thank you. Um, it, I would say it is nearly 100% in your mind. <laughs> yeah. It is not like a 50, 50 balance people, or it is it, not even close. I think it is almost all your mindset. I think you're exactly right. And what's interesting is 
that doesn't mean that you're exempt from mechanics or that you don't need strategy or that you don't need to do the things, but with a solid mindset, you will do the things you'll do them faster. And you'll probably do more of the right things. It's not very effective to take a handful of strategies that have worked for other people, just sort of like try to full throttle them all and see what happens with the right mindset, with really understanding what your goals are, what's stopping you, where you're stopping yourself and where you are telling yourself narratives about your customers or yourself that aren't actually helping you, you will probably pick the strategies that will work best for you, that will work fastest for you, or that will teach you lessons that you need to know in order to move forward. So I would say mindset is, is nearly all of it. And it's funny you say that because I remember when I was like first hitting my first six figure year, which was, that was a huge deal. I was very excited about that. And, um, And I just thought, okay, well, when I get to seven figures, you know, I knew, I knew I was going to get there (laughs) and I didn't know when, but I knew. And I thought, I bet I will have such a great funnel or great Facebook strategy or great system or great automation or, or whatever. Like I just thought I'd have some really complex thing going. And I don't think that I know any more about Facebook ads now than I do when I was at six figures. And the, the biggest thing that's changed is just my energy. I mean, that's the thing that's really scaled and been important. Now I'm, I'm not quite a solopreneur. I do have a team, but I'm, my brand is very personal. It is very reliant on, on me and, you know, how I connect with people and how I talk and how I share my story. So your business might not be so reliant on your personal energy, but the message and that kind of lesson stays the same, that it really is going to be more about how you think and therefore how you believe you can do this. And therefore the actions you take far more than your business strategy or than your business outline. Anyone can have a business outline, but the way you think is really what's going to set you apart. Yeah. Thank you. for. I, I wanted you to, I was hoping that's exactly the answer <laughs> I was looking for, uh, because a lot of people think that just like you said, you know, well, you know, I, I, and you, they fall into this trap of like, I'm going to take this course on Facebook ads. I'm going to take this course on Instagram or then I'm going to start a TikTok. And then they get so scattered. It's just like when people ask me, like, how do you been successful in sales? I'm like, oh, I just prospect every day. Right. <laughs> like, I just do it. Yeah. Like, I just do it. Like I make the fucking calls, you know, right. like it, it's, it sucks. There's days I don't want to do it, but I know uh-huh. if I do it, then it's just like the flywheel that, you know, that Jim Collins talks about, right. Or Jeff Olson with the slight edge. Like if you just show up with a little bit of distance, discipline, a little bit of consistency, and you perform the actions every single day, it just eventually the momentum behind you just completely takes off. And it has totally. a lot less to do with the skill set versus the mindset of going, doing the calls in the days when you don't want to do them. That's right. I, I completely agree so much. And um, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I did want to talk to you about your podcast, you know, your biggest vision. Yeah. I love the name. Really cool. Thanks. I wanted you to be able to talk about that where people can find it and, you know, why you did it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. So my podcast is called Your Biggest Vision, the Your Biggest Vision Show. And I started the podcast as a way to sort of just connect with the people that follow me and my listeners in a more personal way. Um, I think that I, I like Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. If you want to find me there, my uh, handle is just Leah Gervais with an underscore at the end. Um, but I like the podcast for just being able to share more behind the scenes. And so you'll find on there a mix of definitely sales tips and strategies. We do sales trainings at least once a month, if not more. But I also talk about like how I plan my own maternity leave being self-employed and you know um, the biggest failures that I've had come true, things like that, because I just wanted to have a space where people could understand the full like inner workings of what it looks like behind the scenes here and for people to not feel alone because it can be a lonely journey. Um, So I hope that you check it out and message me if you do.
Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. I will post a link uh, to Leah's podcast and to her Instagram, the show notes for everybody listening. And then Leah, what is, I, I know your website, but I want you to go ahead and blast your website as well. So people can find, cause you got to, she's got all kinds of great courses and stuff on her website. Thank you. It is leahgervais.com. Okay. There we go. Pretty simple. That'll also be posted <laughs> in the show notes as well. The website's beautifully done by the way, honestly. Oh, thank um, you. I did yeah. it myself. Never did wow. in my life. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe I can hire you. Oh, <laughs> Well, that was, it was really good. I had I, mine. I was trying to update something about a week ago and I have no idea what I did. So I had to like, take it down. I'm like, trying oh. to help someone help me. I don't know. I can't oh. understand WordPress. Oh, but WordPress. It's, it's not but, easy. It's not no, easy. No, Websites. Uh, awesome. You guys got some really powerful courses on there. Um, so again, everything will be listening to the show notes. Uh, Leah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it was absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.